This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. My pants are up. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 477 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Folks, my name is Matt Baum. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. Each week we discuss Wednesday's new comics, comic book movies, and TV news, and get placed on lists of people that are ruining comics by 4chan trolls. It's true. In this census-shattering episode, we've got reviews of this week's comics. We're going to talk about our picks for next week. And then our very own Jason Sexier is going to learn you kids a little something about a man named Detective Chimp. Not really a man, I guess he's a chimp, but you'll get it. It's all happening here, but before we get implicated in meddling with last year's Eisner Awards voting, we better talk about this week's Nerd Notes! Nerd Notes! United States Representative John Lewis has announced Run, a multi-part follow-up series to his previous series of original graphic novels, the award-winning March. We talked about them on the show. They are great. They're wonderful. First reported by Time, the new graphic novel series will be co-written by his March collaborator, Andrew Aiden, with art by Afua Richardson, who is very talented. March recounted Lewis's experience as an activist in the civil rights movement. Run, book one, will pick up right after March left off, chronicling Lewis's role in the civil rights group, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and their work against the Ku Klux Klan's efforts to quash black voting rights. Here's a quote from Lewis. In sharing my story, it is my hope that a new generation will be inspired by Run, to actively participate in the democratic process and help build a more perfect union here in America. And quote, run book one is coming out through Abrams comic arts and is due on shelves August 14th. Okay. Great news. March didn't, Great news. March didn't come from Abrams though. Did it? No, I think March came from top shelf. Something like that. Yeah. I wonder why they're doing it in a different place. That's my only question. I don't know. Regardless, yeah, John Lewis is amazing, and the fact that he he's an amazing congressman, and the fact that he chose to tell this story in comic book format is so intensely cool that I can't, I mean, this guy is like in his 70s, he's an old dude, and he chose, yeah. you know, to do this as a graphic novel. That is amazing, you know, and, and not just what he's done, just to say, you know what, I don't want to just write a book about it, I want to get this out in a visual medium to people and really show people what happened. And that's so cool. It's absolutely amazing. Well, and more than that, it's important. His story is vital to absolutely. the history of our country. And, you know, I think telling it in this format is a great way to get that story in front of a lot of people that might not necessarily be interested in yeah. doing historical research. Absolutely. Really looking forward to this. I love Afuo Richardson. Yeah. So this is huge news, and I think it's going to be really good. we got to be careful, though, because this is two weeks in a row we've had anti-Klan stories. People are going to start to think we're anti-Klan. So, you know, we got to well, watch that. Well, I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with people I'm just saying we got to stay open to all ideas, Joe. Come on. No, we do not. <laughs> 
In other news, Joey, are you ready to keep hunting for Wolverine? I've never stopped, baby. Yeah, me either. This April, the story kicks off in the hunt for Wolverine one shot before spinning off into four different four-issue miniseries. What the hell? I think that's a total of 64 comics, each focusing on a different set of characters and a different storytelling genre. It's orchestrated by Hunt for Wolverine and Death of Wolverine writer Charles Soule. A star-studded cast of talent have teamed up to unravel Wolverine's secrets. Avengers, no surrender. So, okay, I'm not going to read all this. You've got Jim Zub. You've got Mariko Tamaki. You've got Tom Taylor and a a bunch of fantastic artists working on this, too. Do we care? Isn't this the same kind of stuff that people have been pissed at Marvel for? When they just said we're not going to do any more of these like weird, you know, like, I mean, I know we're not doing huge company-wide events, but the hunt for Wolverine in four different fucking comics, seriously. Yeah, I mean, this is how they're getting around the whole no big event yeah. thing. They're doing a small event in like every corner, and it's driving me a little bonkers. Well, it's it's the exact opposite of what they said. You're not fooling anyone. This right. is a company-wide event. It's all over the place. And it's friggin' Wolverine. <laughs> you know? Well, okay, so not only do I not care enough to read four separate minis, Wolverine has been back for months. Yes. He's going to be in Infinity Countdown. I mean, it will be nice to know where he's been, but I don't need four books to tell me. Yeah. I do, I do think it's kind of neat how each one's a different genre, like... Uh, so here's the names of the titles. Weapon Lost is a noir detective story. Adamantium Agenda is an action adventure. Claws of a Killer is horror. And Mystery in Madripoor is a dark romance. No, please. I think that's kind of an, I mean, it is an interesting <laughs> take. I guess. I don't know. I, um, they all have terrible Greg Land covers. Yes. Terrible. I just, I don't really care right now about this Wolverine with an infinity stone thing. It goes back to things we talked about on cover to cover with the X-Men in space and how that's just like some people don't like, I love some X-Men in space stories, but like, I don't need Wolverine being part of this big cosmic event. Like just bring back my Wolverine, please. I'm kind of with you. I, I'm kind of with you. I'm over it. I'm going to read it because I like Charles Soule, and I really did enjoy his death of Wolverine. It was very, very well executed. No pun intended. But uh, this seems like a lot of <laughs> comics just to find, you know, the old knucklehead. head. But yeah, I'm definitely not invested in all of this crap. But let's talk about something we do care about, and that's Kitty Pride. <laughs> According to Deadline, Brian Michael Bendis has been hired to script 20th Century Fox's planned Kitty Pride movie, which will be directed by Deadpool's Tim Miller. Uh, The reported film is going under the working title of 143, which The Hollywood Reporter says refers to Uncanny X-Men 143, which is the issue where Kitty is trapped alone on Christmas with the demon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic John Byrne story. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bendis retweeted these reports, which basically confirms his hiring. Finally, we're getting the rated R Kitty Pride movie we all (laughs) have needed. Finally. Uh, of course, Bendis is mostly known for writing for Marvel for the last 18 years. He just recently signed a big deal with DC Comics, which I think uh, uh, news outlets are contractually obligated to refer to it as a multifaceted exclusive deal every yes. time they talk about it. Yes. 
Because every story uses the term multifaceted. Well, I think that's just like shorthand for we don't know how this deal works at all. And also probably not just comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might- <laughs> it's multifaceted, okay? Stop yeah, yeah. asking me. <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows this, but Bendis wrote the infamous post credit scene to Iron Man 1, which kicked off the, DC, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. And he also was on the Marvel Studios Creative Committee from 2008 until 2015 when Marvel Studios decided, we don't need you Jokers anymore. Right. He's also no stranger to Kitty Pride. He wrote her in Ultimate X-Men and Ultimate Spider-Man and all new X-Men and even took her into space with Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Which was kind of weird. I liked it at first. Uh, but no more weird than Ben Grimm being in space. No, with Guardians no. Of the Galaxy, Or so. Venom, for that matter. Right. Uh, <laughs> so we don't know anything about this Kitty Pride movie other than it's coming sometime. Miller is busy doing some sort of Terminator reboot or sequel or something. Do we need a Kitty Pride solo film? No. No, we don't. And I'm not saying that because I dislike Kitty Pride. I love, I love Kitty Pride. I love Kitty Pride. She's one of my favorite ex-peeps. But I love her with all the X-Men. I don't need a solo Kitty Pride film. And if I'm going to get a solo Kitty Pride film, I don't need the story of Kitty Pride stuck in the X-Mansion by herself with a demon on Christmas. Was it a fun issue? Yes. Do I want to live through two hours of that? No. <laughs> I don't well, need I mean, it. Well, I I don't know. Well, nobody knows if that's what the movie's about. That's right. just kind of what they're calling it. I get it. I, you know, I just don't need it. And maybe it's because we've had a peek behind the curtain and we know that Fox is actively trying to sell their movie studio to Disney, which owns Marvel. So it feels like none of this matters or counts. Now, I don't know if this, this could be the first, you know, in something new that unites this with the Marvel Universe. I don't know. But it's really well, hard for me to get excited about any further Fox X projects right now. Because That's true. Especially because the last one was not good at all. But, I mean, you got to remember that if this deal gets approved, it's going to take like 18 months. Oh, of course. For it to go through. Right. Which means, and, and Fox is not going to stop making movies. No, no. I think like Wolverine was one thing, but we lived through it and it's done. And Logan was wonderful and it was, it was great. I just don't really get excited about any X-Men solo movies. Deadpool 2 is going to be pretty good. Yeah, Deadpool is like a thing of, of its own. It's its own monster, I guess, because it's wacky and it's a comedy and we know we're going to laugh through it and it's going to be ridiculous and violent and whatnot. This, uh, I don't know what they do with a Kitty Pride film to make me care. Like, what's the, yeah, the shtick going to be? You're already doing a horror movie with, with the new mutants. What's the shtick going to be here that makes me care? It is kind of, it's an odd character to choose for a solo movie, I yeah. think. Let's put that aside real quick, because you and I did not have a chance to discuss this. But how awesome was Cable in that new Deadpool trailer? Oh, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So great. Yeah, and they're just hamming it up. Absolutely hamming it up. His uh, gun is ridiculous. I he looks ridiculous. His eye flashes. Yeah, he talks ridiculous. It's a, they took him uh, right out of the pages of a Rob Liefeld script, and I love it. I'm into it. So there's your nerd news for this week. And of course, we want to hear from you on these stories and everything else we missed. You guys got to hit us up on our Ziggurat direct line. It is 402-819-4894. So you can share your thoughts with us on these stories and more. And you can do it on our cover to cover call in show. 
You call in live every Saturday morning from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. And you watch the action live on our Facebook page. It's our own little Facebook nerd talk show. Think sports radio for you nerds. Huh? Sometimes I even watch it. It's true. Now it's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I dramatically reenact our favorite parts of two of this week's new comics. Matt, I did not have money in the costume budget for your pick. Oh, damn it. What are we reviewing this week? This week, I'm talking about Cold War, number one, from Aftershock. It's written by Christopher Sabella with art by Hayden Sherman. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Panacea Cryonics offered its customers life after death by keeping their heads frozen until the day technology could rebuild them, free of disease and death. However, as these everyday people from the past are revived, they're not handed the keys to a new life, but a gun, body armor, and an ultimatum. They must fight in a war against unknown opponents for unknown reasons to secure their place in a brave new world that doesn't want them around. Pancetta Cryonics. Pancetta Cryonics. It's delicious. Earlier this week, Sabella tweeted about his second grade teacher that warned all his subsequent teachers through eighth grade that he was, quote, trouble. It upset him very much. (laughs) But as it turns out, she was absolutely right. (laughs) Cold War drops you into the story along with the unfortunate stars of the book who, like the reader, have no idea what they're getting into. Hayden Sherman matches Sabella's fast-paced, brutal script with absolutely insane art that reminded me of what I used to love about Frank Miller with shades of Kevin O'Neill's madness on full display. Yes, yes, it really reminded me of like a British comic in 2008. There is no time to take a breath or even think about what's going on or world-building or even why these people are being dropped into a war they can't possibly comprehend. And Sabella and Sherman capture their desperation madness and insanity perfectly cold war felt like a sadistic video game meets a philip k dick story and while i love the pace and unpredictability of the story i have to wonder how long can you keep up this lunacy it's very much like what we talked about last week with verses where verses was a it was a great premise it was super fast it hit the ground running but i can't read Six issues of that, because there's not a lot there. So I'm really curious to see where they go with this. There was a wonderful twist that happened right. about three quarters of the way through the book, and I saw it coming. And I was like, oh boy, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Oh, they did it. <laughs> I'm giving Cold War a buy it, because I haven't read anything this spastic and nutty for a long time. But like I said, I'm not sure I can hang with this pace for more than six issues. So I really want to see what they do next. I did love Hayden Sherman's art. It was crazy. I did too. Like, I think that there's an answer to your concern after the twist where you get a sense of the main character's motivation and, and the sense that there's going to be a story beyond just like running around the battlefield, shooting faceless aliens or robots or whatever they are. And I, I did not see the twist coming. And actually, like, two-thirds through the book, I'm like, you know what? I'm not so sure I'm into this. Like, I love the concept, but I wasn't into the main guy. Yeah. I, and I was just like, oh, this this guy is, like, I don't care about his story. It was, like, very generic, like, I gave my life to the war. Oh, yeah. The war didn't want me. Yeah. And now, here I am, 500 years into the future, and I'm back in the back. Okay, okay I get it. I get it. Um. But Sabella pulled the rug out from under us, and I loved it. Yeah. 
I was hooked. He's just, and, that's what I love about Sabella. He likes to just fuck with his readers. He loves yes. it. <laughs> and uh, I love the art. I, I love the concept that these poor saps thought that they were going to wake up to a better world and they got drafted into an insane war. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. There's a, a huge cast of characters, not all of whom I was able to identify specifically because well, the art, the art is kind of, um, they also whittled down that cast very quickly. <laughs> yes. And, but, but there are, there are a few characters that make it all the way through. Um, and some of them are not what they seem, yeah. which is interesting to me. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I, I'm giving it a bite as well. I loved the art. Uh, my, my one complaint maybe about the art, I could not keep track of everybody because I couldn't identify them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think you were supposed to. I think right. I think they were trying to drop you in there with them where you're basically out with a bunch of strangers that you don't know. You right. Know? And, and it's not important who they are. What's yeah, important right totally now is fair. Yeah, like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> you know? and yeah, they didn't they didn't know it. They didn't know each other. There's no reason why we needed to know anymore. Exactly. Um, but yeah, huge buy it. I really enjoyed it. Joey, before we move on, we had a nerd bet about this next comic book. Um, what was the nerd bet? Remind me. The nerd bet. I bet he, he died. You bet he lived. Okay. Well, I'm not going to spoil that. Oh, you son of a bitch. I, I mean, did you read it? No, I'm way too far. Up. I'm way too yeah. far behind. Um, <laughs> through sheer force of will, I made this happen. My review is Invincible 144 from Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman, with art by Ryan Otley and Corey Walker. Uh, it was 56 pages for $5.99. This is the final issue of Invincible. And I forgot that I made this issue my pick of the week on our last episode. Which means I did not start playing catch up on my reading until Tuesday night. 16 issues in 16 hours later, I was finally ready for the Invincible finale. Uh, I wasn't ready for it. Because I didn't want the book to end. Yeah. It's going to be impossible for me to discuss this issue in depth without spoiling so many shocking, touching, and amazing things that happened to Invincible and his supporting cast over the course of the epic 12-issue The End of All Things story arc. Suffice it to say that Robert Kirkman and his longtime collaborators bring closure to nearly every aspect of this book's 15-year run while planting fun seeds for the future, Kirkman wraps up the story of Mark Grayson and his family in a way that leaves the door open to grow those seeds into new stories. He might not ever intend to go back, but having the potential there feels right. The issue's final moment calls back to the scene where Invincible revealed itself to be more than just a generic teen superhero title. And it's an, an, it's an absolutely perfect send-off. Invincible has never just been about Mark and his friends fighting supervillains and aliens. It's been about Mark learning how to become a better hero, making lots of mistakes along the way, and the impact that he had on those around him. And the second half of this issue is the culmination of that journey. Longtime Invincible artist Ryan Otley illustrates the first half of the issue, which deals with the aftermath of the end of all things on Earth. Otley is probably one of the best superhero artists on the planet. And he wraps up his legendary run with a bang, bringing the book full circle. 
I used to think that Otley was a superior artist compared to Walker, but I've really come to appreciate Corey Walker more and more. He co-created the series, and every time he comes back for a return visit, he just gets better. Otley may edge Walker out when it comes to brutal action scenes, but Corey Walker injects his characters with such expressiveness. The knowing chuckle in the final panel took me back to Superman's final wink on the last page of Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. This book has also been blessed with wonderful colorists and letterers like FCO Placentia and Russ Wooten. Nathan Fairbairn does tremendous color work on this final issue. Robert Kirkman told the story he wanted to tell, and it was one that had lasting consequences for all of the characters, and it had a natural progression that allowed the characters to change and grow over time, which is not really something that we get in most serialized superhero comics. Oh, absolutely. Especially from the big two, because those characters can never change for real permanently. Well, and they don't even have time to think about changing, period. Right. Because there's going to be something next week that would force them to change again. Right. I did not want Invincible to end, but I couldn't have asked for a better send-off than this. Invincible 144 gets a huge buy-it for me. If you are not caught up, please take the time and do so. If you have not read Invincible, please believe me when I tell you that it is, without a doubt, one of the best superhero comic series of the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. Easily. It is a tremendous Easily. achievement. Yeah. Like, I, Robert Kirkman, I don't think Robert Kirkman is the best writer. Like, I fell off The Walking Dead. It got boring to me. It got predictable. And even when he tries to, even when he tries to do... New and shocking things. In The Walking Dead, it just feels like a gimmick. In Invincible, it all made sense. Everything that happened to these characters was a logical progression from what happened before. The things that Mark did in the book carried real weight that he took with him from the beginning of the series all the way to the end. Oh, yeah. And watching these characters grow over time has been an immense pleasure Invincible is wonderful. Please read it. Well, the, the single best thing about Invincible was it was Robert Kirkman's world. So there were no editors telling him, well, we can't do that this week because this is happening to that character and we can't do that. And he got to tell the story exactly the way he wanted to tell it from start to finish. And that meant he got to break all the superhero rules. All of them. And right. he made it just like he would do things in The Walking Dead. Pardon me. That you say became predictable. I still think it's a very good book. But he would do things in there that would make us as readers just shocked, just absolutely blown away because you can't do that to your characters. There's rules in comics, right? He would, do, he would take that same thing into superhero comics, and he essentially gave us what we have routinely said is the best Superboy story ever written. And it's not a story that could be told at Marvel or at DC. It's, it's one of the... One of the things that makes Image so important and so great are books like this, where they just turn to the creator and go, it's yours, do it for as long as you want to, and let us know when you're done. Everyone yeah. should be reading Invincible. So there's our main reviews. We want to hear from you nerds. We're going to post these reviews on TwoHeadedNerd.com so you can respond in the review section of the THN forums or on the THN Facebook page or even on the THN Facebook fan page. But enough of this thoughtful garbage. 
It's time for Joe and I to unshankle ourselves from the time stream <laughs> and sail through the bleed while we review eight more comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Sideways, number one from DC. DC's new age of heroes rolls on with a plucky teleporting teen hero written by an old dude. Why, oh why, did DC think that it was a good idea to let Dan DiDio anywhere near the dialogue for this book? Oh, God. Why do they let him near, anywhere near any book anymore? Like, is it just pure ego on his part? No, like, he has written things that people have enjoyed in the past. I'm not taking that away from him. Such but, as? <laughs> uh, people really, genuinely loved the OMAC book from the New 52. Yeah, but he wrote that and with he, Keith Giffen. But he wrote it. He wrote it. Keith Giffen drew it. Eh. I actually kind of enjoyed the sense of youthful fun in this book and I like that the main characters are total nerdlingers but the dialogue is straight up bad Kenneth Rogafort's art is really lovely but occasionally so busy that I kind of get a bit lost overall there's some fun to be had in Sideways number one but the dialogue needs to get better in a hurry I'm giving it a skimming yeah Star Wars, Thrawn, number one from Marvel. Jody Hauser writes the origin of the Empire's most famous alien and the star of the Timothy Zahn trilogy that took place after Return of Jedi. Luke Ross is masterful on art, capturing the Empire's aesthetic perfectly and maintaining Thrawn's menacing look, even with his long, sexy, flowing blue hair. I am not a fan of any Star Wars lore that touches on the prequels, but this was an awesome read. I love the character of Thrawn. I recently read the new Thrawn audiobook, or listened to the new Thrawn audiobook. It's so good. This character is fantastic. I'm giving this a huge buy it. New Superman in the Justice League of China. Number 20 from DC. Finally, we get the Chinese Justice League that we've all been clamoring for. <laughs> I have not read about Gene Luen Yang's Chinese Superman since issue number one. And now he's got his own Justice League. I loved seeing the international counterparts to familiar heroes. I really kind of like that stuff. Grant Morrison did it in Batman Incorporated with like all the weird Batman from around the world. I oh, just yeah. I think it's fun. It was awesome. Like the, the Batman of China is kind of a fat ass. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. This issue introduces a character who I'm assuming will become the Aquaman of North Korea. Yeah, they go there. It's North Korean drama. There you go. Lots of political intrigue and fun ideas. Also, some goofy dialogue and kind of dodgy art. New Superman number 20 gets a skim it. I, I think it's fun, and I like what they're doing. It's just a little... Uh, the execution's not super great. I don't care. I gave up after issue six. I just don't care. This just seems like, please, 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 China, buy our books. They're a huge market for us to get into. Here's some Chinese superheroes. And it's uh, barely going to touch on the rest of the DCU, and if you didn't know what was going on, then you won't know, period. So... The, the Flash of China is a, actually a supporting character from the main Flash book. Like, these characters are around. I know. I'm glad I'm glad it exists. I'm not saying I super care, but I think it's fun that they're out there. I don't super care. <laughs> okay. Dark Knight's Metal, The Wild Hunt, one shot from DC. It seems Scott Snyder has finally lost his goddamn mind, and all it took was bringing on infamous DC crazy man Grant Morrison to co-write this lunacy, featuring the one person, nay, chimp who may be able to save the multiverse. Yep, the fate of the DC multiverse lays in the paws? Hands? (laughs) Of Detective Chimp, 
Great art by Doug Mankey, but he had help from several other artists, and it kind of showed here and there. I have very little idea of what was going on here, but it was a very fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. (laughs) So this issue had actually four writers. Yes. It was Snyder, Morrison, uh, James Tynion IV, and uh, Joshua Williamson. Yes. And the other artists were Jorge Jimenez and Howard Porter. I like I, it wasn't multiple artists in a bad way. I think they did it no, on purpose. They were I really all liked. they were all good. It just there was so much going on that it felt super jumbled and kind of hard to and, follow. And I actually followed this way more than I was able to follow some of Morrison's other crazy shit oh, yeah. like from Multiversity. I mean, this was a, so, this was a direct chase. That's what it was. It was just a, it was yeah, a chase. But I loved this tie-in. Yeah, it was fun. And it definitely feels essential, so don't miss it. Yes. Kick-Ass, number one from Image. Finally, Kick-Ass returns. (laughs) I know. I guess it was hoping too much that we'd close the door on the Kick-Ass franchise. But creators Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. are here with a new spin on the character, an ex-soldier who robs from the corrupt to better herself and her neighborhood. Miller injects his script with a ton of hot-button issues ripped from the headlines and does justice to exactly none of them. But Ramina Jr.'s art is elevated in a beautiful way by inker and colorist Peter Steigerwald. It's a gorgeous comic book. I honestly couldn't care less about Kick-Ass at this point, though. Uh, it may hold some appeal for some people. Not for me. Skim it. Yeah, I, I get Don't care. Done. I, like, I didn't even read the, the last one, so I don't know what happened to Kick-Ass original. Yeah, I, I just don't it, care. Did he get brutally murdered? Because that's really the only way his story ends, right? Uh, I think his head got popped off, yes. Yeah, all right, good. Xena, number one of five from Dynamite. Oh, boy. (laughs) The Warrior Princess returns in this story by Meredith Finch, which sees Xena meeting her blonde buddy, whose name I can't remember at this time, and... Gabriella. Okay. It is also never mentioned in this book. I went front to back. They never say her name. Instead of the rise of the warrior princess, we get an overinflated encounter between Xena and paint-by-numbers male chauvinist Jackson with art that is fine at best. Not much to get excited here if you weren't already a diehard Xena fan. And if you are a diehard Xena fan, I think you're probably saying, really? This is it? I'm giving it a skim it because it was a comic book and it was drawn and I could follow it. (laughs) But there just wasn't much here at all. I'm just going to say it. I don't think Meredith Finch is a good comic book writer. Look, you put the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. I, this is like the third or fourth Meredith Finch book that we've reviewed, and yeah. none of them have been good. No. Give this book a leave it. Don't be a coward. I'm giving it a leave it. Screw it. I'm giving it a leave it. We don't need Xena back right now anyway. Whatever. And if you're going to do it, you can do better than this. Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 42 from Marvel. This was a great example of how to do an annual right. A fun story by the main series writer Dan Slott. Decent art from newcomer Corey Smith. You got a lighthearted backup story by playwright David Hine and Marcus Toe. A hilarious final page gag about the many costumes of Spider-Man. It's not a must-read book. It's not connected to any ongoing saga. It's not going to fill you in on the Red Goblin or any of that other nonsense. But it was a great read and it didn't just feel like total filler. It's a good annual. I'm giving it a buy it. Death of Love, number one from Image. 
Writer Justin Jordan takes a break from Ghost Rider and Luther Strode to tell a slapstick story of what happens when a loser stuck in a friendship with the woman he loves gets offered a red pill, relax, they make a Matrix joke, that will allow him to see cupids at work shooting arrows of love. What a cuck snowflake. From there, things are supposed to get violent, I guess. It doesn't happen in this issue because it was mainly set up. And there was a little too much slapstick for my comedy taste. It almost came off as like manga slapstick at times, but it was very well illustrated by Donald DeLay. I'm giving this a skim it. Well, ram! That is your ludicrous speed round in. Well, ram! Is the sound of Tara Grayson punching the jaw off an alien gladiator as seen in the pages of Invincible number 144. This onomatopoeia was submitted by Anosionis via Twitter. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, that is just too much fun to say. You can hit us up on any of our social medias or shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It's once again time to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Matt and I had attempted to summon Edrigan the Demon to share with us the secrets of next week's comics. Unfortunately, I may not have said every word of the incantation quite right. And we find ourselves staring down the same... I don't want to say rape demon. It was a rape demon. All right. (laughs) It raped a dude. (laughs) I got it, I got it. Demon that gave John Constantine a hard time during the Son of Man crossover. So, Matt, why don't you calmly take a couple of steps back, tell the kids what you're excited to read next week while I work on banishing our new friend. Next week, I am excited for Pumpkinhead, number one, from Dynamite, written by Cullen Bunn, with art by Blackie Shepard. God, I love that name. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. For each of man's evils, a special demon exists. For 30 years, the demon of vengeance has been still. Its corpse buried in a pumpkin patch graveyard in the hills. But when a reckless driver accidentally kills a pair of children, the creature is called up once more. This time, though, the monster's intended target is protected by a cruel backwoods crime family. Of course. They hatch their own supernatural plans for dealing with Pumpkinhead. For each of man's sins, a special demon exists. And when seven infernal creatures roam the hills and the hollows, no one, guilty or otherwise, is safe! This is a continuation of a 1988 film that was directed by effects great Stan Winston. Wait, did Stan Winston direct the movie? He directed the movie. It was basically, he made this giant monster and said, I got to make a fucking movie about this thing. And they were like, all right, where's the script? And he's like, we'll make it up as we go. And they just (laughs) farted out this film. That was terrible, but I loved the monster. Didn't it have Lance Henriksen in it? Yes, starring young spry Lance Henriksen. Henriksen before he was a, Let, a drunk mess. <laughs> let's get one thing perfectly clear. Lance Henriksen has never been young and spry. He was kind of sexy back then. You'd be surprised. Oh, Go back and take up. a look. You'd be surprised. Listen, Blackie Shepard stopped drawing the Kickstarter comic that I supported to draw this thing, so it better be good. Hey, man. He's got to pay the bills. <laughs> I get it. No, it's true. This is going to elevate his profile. I hope it works out for him. I'm he's sure. a really talented dude. Joe Patrick, what is your pick? Oh, man. Next week, my pick is Black Panther Annual Number 1 for Marvel Comics. Why would I pick an annual for my pick of the week? I'll tell you why. Because it's written by Christopher Priest. Yeah. And Various. With art by Daniel Acuna and Various. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Legendary Panther Writers Return! That's all the yelling you get. Gotcha. 
Three legendary Black Panther writers return to Wakanda. Don McGregor's famous storyline, The Panther's Rage, has become one of the most well-respected runs in comic book history. Is that true? It's true. Really? Now the author who redefined Wakanda for a generation is back to expand the mythos. Yeah, like, uh, Newsarama is posting a three-part interview they did with Christopher Priest where he talks about Don McGregor's run on Black Panther in the 70s and 80s. And all of that stuff about the supporting cast and his mom, like, Don McGregor invented all of that. I, you know what? I have never read those. I haven't either, but apparently it's super well done. Wow. I did not know. Bearing the heart-shaped herb that defines the Panther legacy, King T'Challa leaves his beloved country for a heart-wrenching mission in the streets of New York. Then, for half a decade, comics legend Christopher Priest made his mark on the Panther. The acclaimed writer returns with an all-new story, and with it, of course, U.S. State Department employee Everett K. Ross. And finally, no Panther history would be complete without Reggie Hudland, author of more than 50 Black Panther stories, most of which I did not enjoy, including the famed Who is Black Panther? Don't miss the sequel to Black to the Future. <laughs> Featuring original artist Ken Lashley. I feel like that was one of the fake posters in Tracy Jordan's room. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. uh, Who that Ninja, Fat Bitch 2, and Black to the Future. <laughs> Reggie Hudlin's, like, all jokes aside, I did not enjoy Reggie Hudlin's Black Panther, so I did not read past the first story arc. The, every time I hear about... Every time anyone even mentions it, all I can see is that panel with the Wakanda dude running away going, kiss my black butt. <laughs> right. Or, yeah. He gets, that he happened. Gets that really happened. <laughs> or, yeah, I, I always remembered it as like he gets caught in a snare or something and he, and he goes, oh, snap. And it's like these are like fifth century Wakandans. Yeah. Like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> um, but all jokes aside, Reggie Hudlin's Black Panther was a huge financial success. It was. And he outsold Christopher Priest's run by, like, miles and miles. So his work is very important. All of these guys are huge contributors to the Black Panther mythos. For me, I would gladly pay four ninety nine if it was just 10 pages of Christopher Priest. Sure. I, that's all I really want. <laughs> the THN Trade of the Week goes to Robin, year one, deluxe edition, hardcover from DC. It's written by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty. Art by Javier Polito and Marcos Martin. It's 208 pages for 35 bucks. Not bad for a hardcover. No, not bad. Here's your solicit. Taking place after the events of Batman, Dark Victory. This epic tale recounts the beginning of Dick Grayson's career as Robin, the boy wonder. The devious Two-Face is very interested in recent reports that Batman now has a teenage sidekick, which makes him sound like a pervert. Indeed, Bruce Wayne has taken young Dick Grayson under his tutelage as Robin, the boy wonder. Alfred Pennyworth is unsure if the inclusion of Dick Grayson to Batman's nightly adventures might not end up in disaster, but... The butler cannot deny the positive influence the lighthearted boy has on his master, Bruce. This collects Robin, year one, number one through four. Before Chuck Dixon was an alt-right fucking asshole, yeah, he was like, a hell of a bat writer. And this Robin story is fan-fucking-tastic. Like, make no mistake, I was really conflicted about recommending this book this week. 
But Robin Year One is one of the best Robin stories ever written. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah. It, you know, and there's a whole argument about separating the man from the art. No, like no. That, I'm over that argument. Well, Do not separate the man from the art. It Ethan Van Skyver, fuck that guy. No, fuck that Chuck guy. Dixon, Absolutely. Fuck that guy. It doesn't mean he's doesn't mean his cover art isn't good. It doesn't mean Chuck Dixon's Robin wasn't a great story. You can't Right, deny. but what it does mean is that I don't want Ethan Van Skyver drawing my Green Lantern comics anymore. Fair enough. You know what I'm saying? I uh, know, and I agree with that. Now that you've demonstrated you're an asshole, you can go away. But the work yes, that you exactly. did stands on its own. <laughs> Congratulations. Enjoy. Yeah. I'm like, not saying allow this mass murderer to keep working, please. No, not that at all. <laughs> you know. My my one my one solace in picking that in picking this book, uh I, I just love it so much. And I just hope that the royalties that Chuck Dixon gets off of this book are very small. <laughs> <laughs> Javier Polito and Marcos Martin's work on this book, though, was stunning. Oh, absolutely stunning like it they have this very definitive cartoon style that was just perfect to tell the story of young robin oh yeah amazing it's uh, it's really good so there are our picks for next week but we want to know what you're reading so hit us up tell us what we should be reading what are we missing there's a lot of books out there why did i have to pick a dc book tell us let us know what would you like us to review this is where Matt says, you should just give us a book to review and we'll review it no matter what. Yeah. No promises. Yes. I'm saying do it. Just say force us to do one. And we'll do it. If you have been paying attention, you probably noticed earlier on the show when I reviewed Dark Knight's Metal, The Wild Hunt, which came out earlier this week, I was talking about Detective Chimp and how much I love that character. Now, a lot of you probably have no idea who Detective Chimp is, but worry not. We've got a man here today to explain to you just who the hell is this guy. Jason Sachs, take it away, buddy. Hi, I'm Jason Sachs, author of The American Comic Book Chronicles, interviews Jim Shooter, and interviews Steve Gerber. Welcome to the latest Who Is This Guy? With this week's Dark Knight's Rising, The Wild Hunt, one of DC's most obscure characters takes center stage, Detective Chimp. Now, who is Detective Chimp? And why should I care about him? Bobo, the Detective Chimp, debuted in 1952 as a backup in the pages of Rex the Wonder Dog number four. Rex was a kind of cute series from the early 1950s, ran throughout the decade. A lot of fun to pick up out of the cheapo bins. Uh, includes some beautiful art by Gil Kane, who we'll hear about in another context in a moment. Detective Chimp's stories were drawn gorgeously by Carmine Infantino, with writing by the fantastic John Broom. And the first story, the first eight-page backup story, tells the story of a beautiful chimpanzee whose owner is brutally murdered, and who helps da- track down that killer. By the end of the story, Sheriff Chase solves the case and adopts the chimp as his mascot and crime-fighting companion. Detective Chimp then went on to star as a backup in issues of Rex throughout the 1950s always basically as the helping mascot of the sheriff. By the second story, he picked up his distinctive Sherlock Holmes-style deer-stalker hat, but Detective Chip never picked up the power of speech. You could call that the pre-crisis Detective Chip. In 1981, the pre-crisis Chimp appeared for the last time in DC Comics Presents number 35, Whatever Happened to Rex the Wonder Dog, by Mike Tiffenbacher and Gil Kane. It went to two animal heroes unite and stop the criminal and, this is the best part, drink from the mythical fountain of youth. Yes, apparently in the pre-crisis DC universe, 
the actual fountain of youth was somewhere hidden in Florida, and Rex the Wonder Dog and Detective Chimp found it and drank from it. It's awesome. A little weird, wacky story. Uh, nice art by Kane, and uh, really uh, it, just an enjoyable piece of work. Wish I could say the same for the 1989 Secret Origin story uh, by Andy Helfer and Mark Badger, in which some space aliens give the chimps some super intelligence. It's a really weird story, not really worth grabbing out of the quarter bins. I actually had trouble kind of making sense of it. Badger's art is very sketchy. Uh, not the best comic in the world. The Chimp next appeared in a cute four-part guerrilla warfare storyline in Flash and Green Lantern in 1988-89, in which he and Rex the Wonder Dog helped those heroes stop Hector Hammond and Gorilla Grodd. That storyline's relatively early on in Mark Waid's Flash run. It's a very fun book to check out. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Green Lantern books. Those are written by Gerard Jones, whose work I can't read anymore. But the, the Wade story, of course, wonderful. After that, Detective Chimp goes dark for another 20 years or so, before he's found by a team of heroes for 2007's crossover event, Day of Vengeance, which I also can't read because it has art by Gestiano, who's a convicted criminal. I can say any more, but you can look it up, and it's not a pleasant story. After Infinite Crisis, the team of heroes from Day of Vengeance joined together as a team of mystic heroes called Shadow Pact. This new take on Detective Chimp was a Adam as one of the smartest creatures in the universe, a brilliant detective in a sleek leather outfit who teams with the oddball heroes of the Shadow Pact to fight evil creatures. It also depicts the chimp as recovering from a 50-year drunk because of boredom and inactivity. That series lasted 25 issues, plus one extra story well worth talking about. In 2007, DC delivered a fifth-week event called The Helmet of Faith, and that tale some of DC's most obscure mystical characters discover Dr. Fate's helmet and have fascinating adventures. Thus, we got issues starring Zariel, Ibis the Invincible, Black Alice, Sargon the Sorcerer, and, you guessed it, Detective Chimp. Written by Bill Willingham, with art by Sean McManus, this delightful story establishes the Chimp as an animal to be reckoned with. This cute tale shows the Chimp as a Sherlock Holmes-level intelligence, working as a freelancer for the New York Police Department before Fate's helmet literally hits him in the head. The kid gets cosmic wisdom, but that knowledge gets to be a bit too much for him, and he ends up throwing away the helmet. Since then, Detective Chimp has appeared only rarely, including a fun appearance on Batman the Brave and the Bold, and as a playable character in Batman Lego 3, before turning up in the pages of this special. As DC's most charming and ridiculous creation, he's always seemed like a character in search of the right creative team. And while I didn't appreciate the way he got beaten up in the first pages of The Wild Hunt, hopefully coming out of this one shot, this unique character will find the right ball. Thanks. Excelsior! (laughs) That is it for THN 477. But before we get out of here... 477. Joe Patrick, I need you to introduce the new question... Of the week. This week's question comes from Brian Domingos, king of the THN forums. Which creator have you recently fallen in love with? Maybe it's a hot new upstart, or it's someone that is new to you, or maybe it's a creator with an established history that you never liked before, but you've recently come around. Huh. Could be a writer, artist, color, whatever. Sure. I love it. That'll be a fun one, and it'll get people reading new stuff. 
Remember, kids, THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that shells out their hard-earned cash that they could be spending on comics every week by supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we would not be able to afford avoiding extradition back to Wakanda after that debacle on the red carpet. Ooh, that was a mess. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to everyone that went to Planet Comic-Con this weekend and scored THN show intros from their favorite creators and celebrities. Nice like job, nerds. Kevin Conroy. No, 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 no. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. I'm going to cut all that. It's got to be a surprise. No, okay. That's fine. Yeah. Like, I knew we could count on you guys, and gosh, I'm just... I can't... I just can't count how many there were. There were so many. That's awesome. And if you are going to a show or bump into someone or happen to be having lunch, say, next to, I don't know, Danny DeVito, you can always ask for an intro for THN, and we will give you a virtual high five and then forget it ever happened. Oh, yeah. It does not have to be a comic book celebrity. Yeah, it can be anybody. Until next time. True believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might send Danny DeVito to kick your ass. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. <laughs> he's small, but he's scrappy. He can get his leg up there, though. You'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>